Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Well, good evening. Um, if you have your Bibles, please open to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And as we continue through this very interesting book, we get to see Solomon's heart. We get to see some of the things, some of the ways he looks at life. Some of them are godly and some of them are very earthly. But we get a perspective check for ourselves. And that's always a good thing. Um, before I begin with Ecclesiastes chapter 8, though, I'd ask you to turn back a couple of pages to Ecclesiastes 7 in verse 25. Because as you know, <clears throat> the chapter and verse divisions were placed there by men many years or centuries after the original writings and Sometimes they're a little bit off, I think. Very few, but sometimes they're a little off. This is one where I think Ecclesiastes 8.1 should have really been at the end of 7. So just to go back to give us some clarity and some continuity here, in 7.25 it says, I applied my heart to know, to search and seek out wisdom and the reason of things, to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness and madness. And then jump down to verse 29, and Solomon says, Truly this only I have found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Boy, he just, he just kind of gave the whole, uh, whole of humanity in one verse, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. The reason why this, I think, believe, uh, belongs with the next verse in, in Ecclesiastes 8 is because Solomon is talking about wisdom, using godly wisdom in order to live upright lives. He encourages us to seek God and seek His wisdom, not only through this chapter and through a lot of this book, but you look back at the book of Proverbs and you can see how a good portion of that um, was all about seeking godly wisdom. And the reason is that there's sin all around us. The enemy of our souls is constantly tempting us to turn away from God and to follow His ways. And we know that we can't defeat Him on our own. We, I know probably most of us have tried and have failed. That it's only by the Holy Spirit, by the power of God working in us as believers that we can overcome and we can live upright lives. So turning to Ecclesiastes verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, we're going si to sit here for a few minutes because I wanted to give us some continuity between the last chapter and this chapter. But in verse 1 it says, Who is like a wise man? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A, wis a, wise, 
Uh, a man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the sternness of his face is changed. So he continues here this topic of wisdom, seeking godly wisdom. And Solomon many times gives us good, solid counsel, good guidance for a living, even though there were many times that he didn't heed his own advice. We, we know that from the scriptures. But in this verse, we see four things, four things which are the characteristics of somebody who's seeking God and obtaining wisdom from the Lord. First, we see, it says in the first part of verse 1, who is like a wise man? That's kind of the Bible's way of saying that there's not many really wise men out there. Who is like a wise man? And we see that, that there's not that many. It's uncommon among men that we see people using godly wisdom in their day-to-day life. Now, you may, you, you may experience that if, you're, uh, if you associate with a group of Christians who are really committed to walking with the Lord, seeking the Lord for their day-to-day. But if you're out in the world and maybe you have a, a, a secular job or, or whatever, you go to school, you don't see that very much. You see people trying to use their own wisdom. Only those who've received the Holy Spirit can walk consistently with God. And they can claim to have wisdom from above because God says He will give it to us. In our natural state, apart from God, we can't make that claim. 1 Corinthians 2.14 even tells us, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So it's the spiritual things that we need the Holy Spirit to give us the wisdom to work through, to understand. Second characteristic of a person who seeks godly wisdom and receives it is that he has the moral authority to pass judgment in the things of the Lord. It says, the second part of verse 1, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? It says in 1 Corinthians 2.15, but he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. And this is not because a Christian or a believer or somebody who follows the Lord and walks in his ways, it's not because he's any smarter than anyone else. It's because the Lord, who knows everything, has the moral authority and has indwelt the believer so that he can have the wisdom to, to understand, to judge things. See, we are ambassadors for Christ, the Bible says. We bring his word of reconciliation to everyone who crosses our path. In a way, we are making judgment, not in a bad way, but we're making judgment on concerning people's relationship with the Lord and their need for a relationship with Christ. The third thing we identify here as a characteristic of someone who has godly wisdom is that he'll have visible and obvious joy. It says here, a man's wisdom makes his face shine. When someone uses godly wisdom, it'll show outwardly because he knows that 
God is always right and that his wisdom is always perfect. And we can take pleasure as believers in the fact that we're not using our own wisdom. We're not using our own intellect, but we're, we're tapping in to that perfect godly wisdom that he gives us. And then the last thing here, we see the sternness of his face is changed. This, re- this really refers to more of an inner attitude. See, the attitude of our hearts and the outwork, outlook on life changes when we use godly wisdom. We're more in harmony with God, aren't we? Because we're seeking him and we're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We have peace in our life because our decisions and our interactions are always led by God and his wisdom. And so we see all of these beautiful characteristics of somebody who seeks godly wisdom and applies it to their lives. And as we go forward in this book and continuing, even through the rest of those scriptures, we know that we need God's wisdom to understand and to make application to all of these things. Moving on here in verses 2 through 5, it says, I say, keep the king's commandment for the sake of your oath to God. Do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do Do not take your stand for an evil thing, for he does whatever pleases him. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful, and a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment, because for every matter there is a time and a judgment, though the misery of a man increases greatly. Solomon really here is trying to reconcile something. He's trying to reconcile evil in this world with an an all-loving and an all-knowing God. And he begins here by focusing on the government's role in society. It reminds me of what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 13. If you want to turn there or we'll display it up on the screen. Paul writes about this also. He says in verses 1 through 5, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience's sake. Paul speaks very clearly here that human government has the power, but it's only because God allows it. We may think, God, you really put these people in office? Looking at the way government works, and we had a real inside picture of it over the last few weeks, and the methods 
of some of the people in power, we would come to the conclusion that Satan has put them in office, not God. But the Bible says that the authorities have been ordained by God. Government does have a responsibility. They have a responsibility to keep the peace, to keep us safe, and to punish those who do evil. And if they do what's right, then we will live in peace. If we're obedient to the laws, for the most part, we will live in peace. So Solomon here gives us some guidelines for dealing and relating to the government. In verse 2, he says, I say, keep the king's commandment for the sake of your oath to God. Solomon tells us here that obedience to government demonstrates our submission to the Lord in that he has commanded us to do so. You know, think about it. Every time you recite the Pledge of Allegiance, right, you're expressing your intention to obey the laws of the United States of America. Now, some of those laws may not be very pleasant. Sure, paying taxes isn't the most pleasant thing to do, or even sometimes going to jury duty isn't so pleasant, or local zoning laws that restrict you from doing something in your home, making changes to your property. But for the most part, we understand that laws are in place to protect us and to provide for peace. So he says here, for the sake of your oath to God, there's a relationship here between the government and and the Lord. In verses 3 and 4, it says, do not be hasty to go from his presence. Speaking of the king, do not take your stand for an evil thing, for he does whatever pleases him. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say to him, what are you doing? You know, we don't really have too much of a right to question government. I mean, we have representatives and we can put our uh, concerns out there to them and they bring them uh, in and uh, they speak about these things. You certainly have a right to voice your opinion, but we can't go to the White House and tell President Trump, just do what I say. That's just not the way it works. So they, they do have power. But sometimes the power is forced upon us, you know. Government certainly has the authority to enforce the laws and to punish those who break them. And so there's a fine line here, right? It's not to say that we as Christians shouldn't express our displeasure with certain laws, especially the ones that strictly go against God's word. We shouldn't just sit back and allow an evil thing to permeate our government. We can and we should take a stand for what is right, exercise our freedom um, to speak out, and also exercise our freedom at the polls to vote for those who we believe are closely aligned with God's word. And we have, sometimes we have candidates that we can relate to in that regard. And we can certainly take a biblical stand. And that's spoken of in the scriptures. In Acts 5, we see this account 
in verses 27 through 29. Remember, the uh, first century church was kind of just getting underway, and they were receiving a lot of persecution from, uh, from government. And so it says here, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council. He's talking here about some of the apostles. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? What name? The name of Jesus. And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But look at their reaction. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. We ought to obey God rather than men. So we see here, that there is encouragement to speak out against government when it's going against the word of God. But as with anything, right, we need to have wisdom. It goes back to what we first talked about. We need to have wisdom. We need to have discernment. How do we do that? Well, the next couple of verses indicate there's a, that there's a proper time and there's a proper way really, that will keep us in, in God's will as well as compliant with the government. Verses 5 and 6 says, He who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful, and a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment, because for every matter there is a time and judgment, though the misery of man increases greatly. So you remember in chapter 3, Solomon spoke extensively about to everything there's a time, there's a season, there's a proper time and place to do things. Solomon continues in that train of thought here, seeking godly wisdom in how we relate to human government. Though we may disagree with many of the laws, we're compelled to obey them. But there might be a time, and this, again, this is, this is seeking godly wisdom, there might be a time to protest certain uh, egregious laws, especially if they go against God's will. But even then, we demonstrate godly wisdom. One more example here in the, in the Old Testament, in Daniel, we see this account here I'm going to read a few verses in Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. It says, And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so at the end of that time they might serve the king. And then moving down to verse 8, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And then in verse 17, As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And then in verse 19, Then the king interviewed them, and among them all none was found like Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. 
What an awesome account. In this chapter in the book of Daniel, we see Daniel and his friends using godly wisdom and actually being rewarded for it by the government. Daniel and his friends, you know the story, they were brought to Babylon in the siege of Israel. They were, uh, they were basically slaves. They were ordered to eat certain foods. And the reason why they were ordered to eat certain foods, remember, they brought the, the best and the brightest, the strongest and the young men to serve in the king's, uh, in the, in the king's court. And so these young, strong men, obviously the king wanted to keep them young and strong. So he fed them the best of everything. But Daniel and his friends refused to eat that food. This was a spiritual thing. They weren't on a special diet, although although they were. I'm sure this food wasn't kosher. But they also didn't want to eat food that might have been offered to idols. And they didn't want to be identified with the pagan people in Babylon. So this was a spiritual thing. So they refused to eat the food. And of course, what would happen? They started to become weak and frail. And so the guard came and saw this and, and pleaded with them, please eat or else, or else it's going to be my head because you're supposed to be strong and you're supposed to be working in the king's kingdom. And he pleaded with them. But Daniel, remember the story, he made, he made a deal. He said, listen, bring, bring us vegetables and water for 10 days, then come back and test us and see what we're like. See how strong we are, okay? And so Daniel told him, bring a special diet, and he did. And Daniel and his friends, of course, were healthier than anyone else in the kingdom. As a result, you see, they were rewarded. The king actually recognized that there was something special about these guys. God's work was evident in their lives. You know, government will often command us to do things that we disagree with. But with godly wisdom, we can understand how to hold fast to our beliefs and also gain favor with the state. It's not an easy balancing act. It's not easy to do in a sinful and fallen world. But God will give us wisdom if we ask. And then moving on to verses 7 and 8. For he does not know what will happen, so who can tell him when it will occur? No one has power over the spirit to retain the spirit, and no one has power in the day of death. There is no release from that war, and wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. Solomon here rightly points out that no one can know the future, especially the time of his death. And that's a battle that no one will win, will be released from. He expresses several times throughout this book the idea of submitting to things as they are, just accepting what God has given us and not striving and not fighting against our circumstances, not fighting against our past, not fighting against our trials. We don't know what God's going to do through those things in the midst of them or even how we've been trained 
as we go through those trials for future things. You know, in Romans 8, 28, you know this verse, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are the called according to his purpose. We may not understand, but we know that God has a plan and a purpose. And having this attitude as followers of Christ, I know we can face trials knowing that God will work it out for his perfect plan. Moving on in verses uh, 9 and 10, it says, All this I have seen and applied my heart to every work that is done under the sun. There is a time in which one man rules over another to his own hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of holiness and they were forgotten in the city where they had, done, had so done. This also is vanity. Solomon here continues to kind of share his frustration with um, what many of us see and, and, and admit and that's the unfairness that we see in life. And you know, sometimes government will exploit us. Sometimes people will exploit us. And we know that there's some people that, although they may outwardly be holy, we know that there's, um, they're a, a wicked person, and then they die, and you ever hear go to a funeral of somebody like that? They never talk about the wickedness. They only talk about the facade of holiness that they put on. And it seems as though, as Solomon says, their wickedness was all forgotten, right? But just remember, God knows the truth. God knows all things. And Solomon encourages us in that, that God knows. He goes on in verse 11, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. So in our legal system, right, we're supposed to have uh, swift justice for not only for the accused, but also for the victim of a crime. You know, you've heard the saying, justice delayed is justice denied. Yet sometimes we don't see justice in this life, right? We know that. Sometimes justice is delayed and delayed, and we never see um, you know, fairness and justice taken. And we need to be encouraged because that can certainly discourage us. And what, it, what else it does, it encourages others to go into a life of crime because they don't see any, um, any justice being, being handed down. They don't see the punishment. Or we might think that God has turned a blind eye to those things. But again, we have to have an eternal perspective. We, we need to look at things the way God does and understand that he's the ultimate judge and he will always be fair. Going on, he's, he's continuing this theme of just, uh, of just uh, not understanding the unfairness in life. He says in verses 12 and 13, though a sinner does an evil a hundred times, and his days are prolonged, yet surely I know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, 
because he does not fear before God. Solomon kind of shifts his thought process here, gives us a little glimpse of hope that God will take care of the wicked, even if we don't see it happen here, using his words, under the sun, that God will always be fair. And some things we just won't understand, right? Sometimes we look at the world, sometimes we look at circumstances, and we don't understand it, and we wonder. But know this, in Romans eleven thirty three. it says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. There are some things as believers that we may not understand about God and his ways. They're higher than ours. And we, we just have to, we just kind of have to live with that and understand that God is always perfect in everything he does. <clears throat> Moving on here, uh, this, this one verse kind of on its own, verse 14, there's a vanity which occurs on earth that there are just men to whom it happens according to the work of the wicked. Again, there are wicked men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. So again, here commenting on the unfairness of life, those questions. Why do the wicked seem to always get blessed? And why do the righteous seem to always suffer? You know, those questions have been pondered since the beginning of time. And not only by believers, but by non-believers. People just wonder. They look at the world and they don't understand. I think that's one of the questions that's asked most in this, in this world because it just doesn't line up with what we feel is right. It's at odds, odds with our sensibilities. It, it bothered, uh, bothers us, doesn't it? That the wicked sometimes prosper and the righteous sometimes suffer. But again, as believers, we can look at it from God's perspective. And if we don't look at it from God's perspective, um, we're going to have a totally different way of looking at everything that happens in this world. You know, we do look around, as Solomon did, and we see things that we can't explain. We see uh, wickedness and evil that we can't um, understand. We can't reconcile it. But you know, there are some things, and Solomon, Solomon concludes here in these final few verses, basically giving us a tip as to how, to how to exist in this world, in this fallen world, because it's not easy. As believers, we see things differently, don't we? We see things from a perspective of, of sin and f the fallen nature. But there's a biblical basis for reconciling these things. He concludes here in verses 15 through 17 with these last few thoughts and uh, these verses. So I commend enjoyment, Solomon says, because a man has nothing better under the sun than to eat, drink, and be merry, for this will remain with him in his labor all the days of his life which God gives him under the sun. 
when I applied my heart to know wisdom. And I think he says that quite often in this book, applying his heart to know wisdom. That's really our job as believers, to apply our heart to know wisdom. He goes on in verse 16, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, even though one sees no sleep day or night, then I saw all the work of God that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. For though a man labors to discover it, yet he will not find it. Moreover, though a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find it. We see a little bit of a shift again here in Solomon. Remember, he, he used to see everything apart from the eternal. He used to see everything under the sun, right? And that left him, what, empty and hopeless. But now we see him here recognizing the work of God in each person and the reality that we can receive wisdom from God to navigate this life. Although there are some things that will be beyond our understanding, beyond our knowing. So he says, enjoy the life that God has given you. Life is too complex. Life is too filled with conflict for us to figure it out. Life is a mystery, Solomon is saying here, that really can't be solved, but God wants us to enjoy it and trust in him. Solomon's counsel here, don't agonize over the things that you can't understand. And as we close up, I just want to mention one commentator who put it this way. He says, his conclusion is that we must be content not to know everything. Neither hard work, persistent endeavor, skill or experience will unravel the mystery. Wise men may make excessive claims and they too will be baffled. So take heart. Seek wisdom. Don't agonize over the, over the things you can't figure out. Put him in God's hands. Trust in him. And enjoy the life that God has given you. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.